Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we conclude our series, Oh Brother. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, community. How are you feeling this morning? Anybody get a little emotional at that moment just then? I, I don't know if I'm just tired, but man, that was, that was such a gift. I'm so grateful for the Stuco team and the ways that you guys pour into students here. Uh, quick quiz. How many of you know what this is? Anyone? For you college students, you may not see any of this for a while. Um, <laughs> roughly 20 years. Uh, Yeah, okay, so this, of course, is a dollar. It's very familiar. It's very recognizable. But what you may not know about this dollar is that it's actually not made of paper at all. Did you know that? It's actually 75% cotton, 24% linen, and 1% rainbows. It's true. That's actually what (laughs) dollars are made of. How about this? Anyone know what what this is? Any? Anyways, you can say it loud. It's okay. We're friends. So this is a penny. That's right. This is a penny. Uh, But did you know, though, that this penny actually costs more than a penny to make? According to the U.S. Mint, uh, each penny costs 1.7 cents to make, Uh, which I'm sure there's a a sermon in there somewhere. But if you get enough of both of these things, though, you amass enough of these, you get what we call wealth. And uh, wealth is something that I think is really interesting to talk about because even now I can sort of see the body language of the room shift a little bit. Did, did you know that the 42 wealthiest people in the world have as much as the poorest half of the planet? 42 people have as much wealth as 3.7 billion people on the planet. And so you guessed it, today we're talking about wealth. We're in week five, as Sherry mentioned, of our series, Oh Brother. Um, and we're calling it that because it's written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, each week we've been telling you a little bit about this James character and uh, who he was and what he was like. And I didn't know this till this week, but um, James actually had another nickname. Last week we shared a nickname with him about him. And this week uh, I found another nickname. And his nickname was James the Just. James the Just. And I think when you read this letter honestly, you see that characteristic all throughout, that James lives a disciplined life. And the thing that's so hard-hitting about this letter is that it has incredible practical wisdom for each of us. And so here in James chapter 5, in verse 1, James starts off this way. James chapter 5, verse 1, now listen, you rich people. Okay, so how many of you just like gave out a sigh of relief, like, whew, off the hook for this one, right? (laughs) He is not talking to me. Well, I'd like to make the case that he is, in fact, talking to us. Did you know that if you made $40,000 a year, you're in the top, anyone want to guess what percentage of the world? You're in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. If your annual income is $48,000 a year, you're in the top, any guesses? top 1% of wage earners in the world. In fact, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of really drill down specifically here. The Chicago median annual income is about $66,000. And if you made $66,000 last year, you're in the top 0.15% of wage earners on the entire planet. We are rich. James is speaking 
to us. Now, a few years ago, uh, Money Magazine did an interview. Um, it was really more of a survey of their subscribers. And the question was this, how much would you need to have in liquid assets to feel rich? Does anyone know what the, the answer was? How much in liquid assets would you need to have to feel rich? The answer was $5 million. $5 million. $2 million? No, I'm destitute. Three million, five million dollars in liquid assets to feel rich. Maybe a way that we could say it is this: Nobody's rich, but everyone knows someone who is. Right? None of us are, but we all know somebody who's rich. And the problem with not realizing that we're rich is that we often don't behave like we're rich. If we don't know that we're rich. We won't act like we're rich. And so James, make no mistake about it, is talking to us this morning. In fact, why don't you turn to a neighbor near you, just look him dead in the eye and say, I think he's talking to you. Why don't you just do that? I think he's talking to, yeah. I think he's t- <laughs> okay, so, so James gets right to the point here in, uh, in chapter five. I'm gonna read the whole first verse here. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. It's intense, right? I, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. But he, he comes right out the gate. You rich people weep and wail. And in this next section that we're gonna unpack, he issues four really intense warnings to the rich both of his day and I believe the rich of ours. The first warning is this, don't hoard. Warning number one, don't hoard. This is what he says in verses two and three. It says, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So this, this tone feels a bit different from James, doesn't it? Some of you are like, man, weeks one through four were a blast. I don't know why I came today on this rainy Sunday. James gets really intense here in chapter five, and I think that there's some specific reasons why. Did you know that Americans now have 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage? 2.3 billion with a B square feet of self-storage. That's roughly seven square feet for every single person in this country. And the vast majority of them, the vast majority of these people have either an attic or a garage or storage space. So really what this tells me is we have all this storage space for all the extra stuff that we don't have space for in our homes. Now notice what James says here in verse two specifically. It says, your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Now I think that's fascinating, right? Because like moths don't eat clothes that are being worn, do they? Like the food you're eating isn't the food that rots. And I, I thought about that example specifically, right? The, the clothes that we're wearing aren't the clothes that, that the moths eat. Does anyone show of hands? Let's have a moment of confession. You have clothes somewhere in your closet or somewhere in your basement that you haven't worn in a decade. Anyone? Right, it maybe has sentimental value or you really like sequins or whatever it is. Like, we hold on to it. And I thought about that this week. Um, I actually have a sweater that I bought 15 years ago. Here's a picture of that sweater right here. And um, <laughs> the, <laughs> this is pretty much what all your faces are doing right now. Just, ugh. 
And this picture doesn't do it justice. Those eyes are actually jewels. So I was fancy in my 20s. Um, I still have that sweater. In fact, I'm going to put it on right now. For No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I hold on to that because I wore it initially as a joke. I'm sure it was supposed to be an ugly sweater party, even though no one else in the picture is wearing an ugly sweater. (laughs) And every time we move and every time we purge, I come to that sweater and I go, aw, we can keep that for another 15. We all have things that we hold on to, that we store, that we cling to, that we arguably hoard because of the, the value that maybe it holds for us, but I want to ask some of these questions here. Do I have an extra car, though, why others need transportation? Do I have extra furniture while people lack a bed? Do I have extra clothes while others wear the same clothes every single day? Did you know that one billion people on planet Earth live on less than a dollar a day? One billion people on planet Earth live on less than a dollar a day. Three billion people live on less than two dollars a day. We are wealthy. I think James is telling us, don't hoard, be wise. Don't hoard, be wise. Now, James is not against saving. Please, please don't hear this talk and think Ian, Ian is anti-saving or James is anti-saving. I believe James is trying to show us the difference between wise saving and unwise hoarding. Now, James' second warning is to not cheat. Warning number two, don't cheat. Here's what he says in verse four. He says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Now, there's a a couple of things that are going on here. In James' day, um, typically day laborers were paid the day that they worked. They were often um, the poorest of the poor, and so the wage that they earned on the day they worked went to pay their next meal. And so this guy is clearly, he's, he's wealthy enough to, to own some land, to hire some people, and he's saying, no, I'm not going to pay you. And in this day, there were no contracts, there were no labor unions. You could simply look at the work and say, no, I don't think so. No, I don't want to pay you. In fact, much of these day laborers had to keep moving, right? Because the, the work would always kind of travel. And so they would only typically be in one place for one day. So often what these landowners would do is just sort of buy some time, right? Like, oh, I haven't gotten a chance to look at the work you did yet. I'll get back to you tomorrow. And you push them off and you push them off and you push them off. And these people are cheating the poor, now, this, this principle, again, I think, at first blush, maybe you're, you're thinking like, well, that's good. I don't, I don't employ people, so this, this verse doesn't apply to me. I think this goes way deeper than simply the people who employ other people. Have you ever charged too much for something? Have you ever sold a used car with problems but that you didn't tell them about? Have you ever wasted time at work that you knew you were being paid for? In fact, I, th- I think this verse even applies to those of us who are stingy. Now, there's a big difference between being frugal and being stingy. So, so let's, let's be really clear. Frugal is using like a two-for-one coupon at a restaurant, right? Good on you. Way to go, Groupon. Stingy is tipping your server based on that discounted meal. Are we, are we tracking? Frugal and stingy are not the same thing. As Christ followers, though, 
We are not to be cheap. We are not to be stingy. We are to be a people of generosity. Why? Because God is generous with us. The point isn't, well, I don't employ people, so this verse doesn't apply. It's looking at everything that we have as a gift on loan to us from God, that God says, here, you get to have this for a while. Steward it well. Invest in things and people, stuff that matters. Don't, don't cheat people. Don't be stingy. Maybe James would say it this way. Don't cheat. Be fair. Don't cheat. Be fair. Maybe we could reflect on the golden rule. The question that we could ask is, do I treat others the way I would like to be treated, or do I benefit at the cost of other people? Do I benefit at the cost of other people? James is warning us not to value money more than people. Not to value money more than people. Here's the reality. Next slide, please. We will either love people and use things or love things and use people. Period. I believe that wholeheartedly. We will either love people and then use the things that God has given us in order to love people, or we will love things and we will use people to get those things. More and more of whatever it is that rages deep inside our heart. Which brings us to warning number three, don't waste. Don't waste. In James chapter five, he says this, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Fattened yourselves on a day of slaughter. Anyone growing up on a farm? I mean, probably not a lot of us. I think it'd be really fun, but I'm probably not realistic in that. What What do you do to a hog in preparation for slaughter? You fatten it up, right? And I imagine that would be easy if you're like the other hogs and you're looking to like chubby McChub Chub over here. And you're like, man, he gets all the food. He's getting, he's thinking, man, I'm just living it up, but I'm just getting fatter and fatter and fatter, and he's being prepared for what? For the slaughter. James is saying many of us do the same thing. We're, we're hoarding, we're fattening ourselves up, and it ultimately leads to destruction. James is accusing the wealthy of fattening themselves up while others go hungry. Now, here's a reality that I found to be true, that the the more money you make, the more likely you are are to waste it. Does anyone find that to be true? The more you make, the more likely you are to waste it. I remember, like, my senior year of college, um, I was, like, trying to sell my plasma. Like, things were that tight. I'm, like, selling books before the semester's fully done because I need $40, like, yesterday, right? Things were tight. It was lean, But something happens to us, to our heart, to our head, when when things aren't necessarily that tight. We get a little more kind. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable. The more money we make, the more likely we are to waste it. Also, the more money we make, typically the less generous we are in terms of percentages. In fact, if you have a median household income of $50,000, on average, you give about 6% of it away to charity. But that next bracket... If you make $200,000 a year, on average, you give 4% of it away. In fact, in 2011, the top 20% of wealthy people in the United States gave 1.3% of it away to charity. The top 20% wealthy gave 1.3% of it away. Now, the dollars in some of those instances was massive, right? But Jesus has a number of parables, a number of stories he tells 
where it seems pretty clear that God seems less interested in dollar amount and a whole lot more about our heart of generosity. Remember the widow's mite? And she gave just a couple of coins. But what was his encouragement? This woman has given more than anyone else present because God looks at the heart. And money tends to do this to us, doesn't it? It, it tends to make us want to like huddle closer to store more. There's a, a story that I've heard numerous times uh, about John D. Rockefeller, who at one point was the wealthiest man in America. And there was an interview that I always found kind of haunting where the, the reporter asked him, John, how much money is enough? Like at this point, he was just, he was king, right? And he's like, how, how much is enough? And here was John's answer. Just a little more. Just a little more. Money can often create this insatiable appetite that just sort of screams, if I just had a little more, then I would be happy. Then I would be fulfilled. Then I would be generous. Then I'd start to release. And it seems that there's some kind of correlation between our relationship with money and what's going on at the heart level. Now, conversely, the the opposite seems to be true about generosity. There's a, um, a pretty famous psychiatrist named Carl Menninger, and here's what he wrote. I think it's fascinating. He said, money giving is a very good criterion in a way of a person's mental health. Generous people are rarely mentally ill people. Now, not, not always, but isn't that fascinating that a, he's not a Christ follower, but he sees a correlation between your, your ability to loosen your grip around your stuff, to care for people more than money. Carl seems to believe that there's a correlation between that and our mental health. The reason for that, I think, is because we're all hardwired for generosity. All of us. We were created by a generous God to be generous, period. We're made in the image and likeness of a God who so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his only son. He gave something precious. He gave big. He gave sacrificially. That's in his ontology. It's how God is wired. So if we're made in the image and likeness of that God, wouldn't it make sense then that when we're stingy, when we hoard, when we keep things to ourselves, that that would ultimately not lead to our flourishing? That would not lead to our health because we're not wired for that. James says, don't get fat while other people go hungry. He says, don't waste but be generous. Don't waste, but be generous. And then lastly, warning number four, don't buy into the system. Don't buy into the system. Here's what he says in verse six. It says, you have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. So again, at first blush, this one might be an easy one to let yourself off the hook for. Whew, I haven't murdered anyone in a while, right? Like I, I, this one doesn't apply to me. I think there's a whole lot more going on here. Now, in James's day, there were plenty of people who were actually like paying off judges and doing a lot of like shady mafia stuff. But I think what James is more talking about here are those who oppressed people systematically. People who perpetuated systems that kept the poor poor. In James's day, the rich were this Jerusalem elite, these religious leaders who were sort of fattening themselves on the sacrifices of faithful Jews in that community. All the while, keeping this system in place that maintained the status quo, that kept them in power for as long as possible. Their their affection, their obedience to God was arguably purely pragmatic so that they could remain in their position of power, so they could remain where they're at. 
They worked hard to keep the status quo, and this system was far from just. And so James the Just goes after this. Now again, this, this idea, this culture may feel foreign to us, but we're, we're surrounded by systems too, aren't we? Like systems that like, take away our garbage, systems that deliver us food, systems that make our clothes. And the reality is that most of us don't make the time to really research whether or not these systems are done in a way that like honor people, that are, that are done with integrity. Now years ago, uh, I found a website called slaveryfootprint.org. Now, Slavery Footprint is dedicated to educating people about their consumer power and to end slavery across the planet. I took the survey, and just by punching in like, the things that I use and buy on like, sort of any given month, I found that I employ 64 slaves. 64 slaves somewhere in this supply chain of the things that I buy and eat and use just in an everyday sort of way. I think a lot of companies, they buy from supply chains that employ slaves, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. And those supply chains employ more slaves today than at any point in human history. Are we tracking? Those supply chains, often the things that we don't pay any attention to at all because it's convenient, it's right there, employ more slaves today than at any point in human history. If James warns, don't buy into the system, it sounds like in some way, shape, or form, we're all in. We're all in. Now, there, there are some easy ways to be more just in our consumption. One website that I would encourage you to check out is fairtradecertified.org. Now, fair trade is sort of this global movement of people and organizations and companies that, that put people first, that do the hard work of figuring out where, where systematically are we oppressing people and how can we make a difference in the world. You can find products, shopping guides, recipes that are all fair trade certified. And I'm not just talking about like clothing. I'm talking about the good stuff, like coffee and chocolate. Like, did you know that there are fair trade options for these things that actually are doing the hard work of making sure the people that made them, the people that are supplying them, are actually treated with honor, dignity, and respect? I think that James would say this is a very good first step for us to educate ourselves about what our money does, the way that we purchase the way that we love others. I think James would put it this way. Don't buy into the system, but be just. Don't buy into the system. Be just. He warns us that there are systems all around us, all the time. And if we don't pay attention, we will be complicit in them. Now, the possibility of great good that we could do with wealth is amazing. Please, please don't misunderstand that. If you make a ton of money, man, God, God has leveraged you. He has put you in a position to make intr- incredible impact in the world. If you don't make a ton of money, God has wired you specifically to make a huge impact, regardless. J- James isn't against wealthy people. But he is saying wealth will draw your heart in a very specific way. So as a reminder, James says this. Don't hoard but be wise. Don't cheat, be fair. Don't waste, but be generous. And don't bind to the system, be just. 
Now, I can't help but think that James was saying these things, remembering some of the things that his brother had said not all that much before. And James the Just draws from his brother who said in Matthew 6, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. Does that sound familiar? And where thieves break in and steal. He's like, this stuff that we, we hoard, that we gather, man, that stuff's temporal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There it is. That's what Jesus is ultimately going after. He knows that what we do with our money is an indication of what's going on in our heart. The point ultimately isn't dollars and cents. It's not. It really isn't. James and Jesus are both saying, what's going on in your heart? Do you want to know what matters to your heart? Look at your bank statements. Look at how you spend your money because that will give you a far clearer picture than anything else. And so I want to close with this passage in 1 Timothy And it's hard-hitting, but I think it's challenging for us. It's the Apostle Paul writing to a young apprentice, Timothy. He says this, Command those who are rich, which is who? It's us. It's all of us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be, what's the word? Generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love that challenge for us this morning. This isn't a matter of, man, we want something from you. We want something for you. James and Jesus and Paul is saying, man, when we loosen our grips, when we live a life of generosity, that's how we take hold of the life that is truly life. A life that isn't obsessed with taking. You know that taking is the opposite of the gospel. Taking Throwing an elbow, always looking out for number one is the opposite of what we see in Jesus who emptied himself out, who was poor for our sake and was obedient to death, even death on a cross, not just so that we could talk about it in a room thousands of years later, but so that we could have peace with God and peace with others to help more and more people find their way back to God. So maybe we could all ask, what what am I doing with what God has given me? What am I doing with what God has given me? Whatever that is. What would happen if we became a people together, collectively, all of us, of radical generosity? I think people would line up outside this building to be a part of that kind of movement. And these people just love everyone so incredibly well, not just with their time, not just with their words, but with everything God has given them. I want to be a part of that kind of movement that doesn't hoard, doesn't cheat, doesn't skimp, doesn't buy into this system, but looks at everything that I have as a gift from a God who loves us and sees us and calls us something way bigger than ourselves to be a people of radical generosity. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you have called us out of the rat race, 
off the treadmill of constant accumulation, God. We know that our hope is inclined to migrate at times, but as Paul instructed Timothy, to not put our hope in those things, but to put our hope fully in you. God, help us to do that. Help us to see the ways that we've bought into the system. Help us to walk in a better way, to loosen our white-knuckled grip on whatever it is that you've given us to help more and more people find their way back to you. We thank you, God. We love you. We pray all these things in the beautiful, powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.